are continuing on with our summer theme of this sacred, ordinary life, where together we have searched for holy insights and often hiding in those seemingly mundane and easily overlooked aspects of our lives, like sitting in traffic or brushing our teeth or sharing a meal. Today, I have the privilege of exploring something I'm very familiar with, which is fighting with my spouse. He's here, actually. <laughs> so for guidance, our scripture reading for today comes to us from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Listen now for God's word. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So my husband Alex and I started dating over seven years ago, and this upcoming fall, we will have been married for four of those seven years. And so with some rough calculations over the course of our relationships, I believe we've had at least 10,874 fights, <laughs> roughly. During my research on this topic this week, I found one of these lists about the most common arguments that couples tend to have, and not to my surprise, we've checked every single one of these. Money, household chores, quality time, romance, our in-laws, parenting, and of course, pet peeves. It seems we're right on track with achieving all of our relationship argument goals. <laughs> One of the fights we had pretty early on in our relationship while we were still dating was about our perspective on clothes. Yes, you heard me right, on clothes. You see, at the time, Alex was perfectly satisfied to still be wearing jeans that he wore in the eighth grade. And let me clarify that these looked like a pair of jeans 
an eighth grader wore 15 years ago. I, on the other hand, like to stay current with my fashion, and I believe that my clothing choices were an expression of my personality. And Alex felt like he was above the commercialism of the fashion industry. I don't know if it was above. But honestly, I, I don't think Alex and I ever came to any sort of consensus as a result of this argument. But I can tell you this, that those genes no longer exist in our house. <laughs> so you can imagine that I was pleasantly surprised and affirmed when I took a closer look at Paul's letter this week. That in our scripture passage, we hear Paul using the same language and imagery of clothing in hopes of helping this diverse and struggling community figure out how they were to get along together. I think Paul would agree with me in thinking that what we wear on our bodies communicates something about who we are, about who we believe ourselves to be to the people all around us. Clothing has the power to be an extension and an expression of some aspect of your life. For example, if you're wearing scrubs or a white lab coat, I would assume you're a medical professional. And nowadays, there are all kinds of t-shirts that you can wear to tell me what sports teams you cheer for, what bands you like to listen to, and where you may have vacationed recently. And if you're like my mother, who would drive me to school with rollers still in her hair, I would know that you're the type of person who didn't care what anyone thought about you before you've had your morning cup of coffee. <laughs> of course, Paul isn't talking about physical clothing. He's talking about virtues and behaviors that we embody through our physical selves. The things that we can do to enable healthy relationships to thrive between us. Paul identifies the key ingredients to maintaining and sustaining a relationship. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Like all faith communities or any communities that have formed over our human history, it appears the church in Colossae is no exception to what all of us are learning all of the time. That relationships are hard and they're messy. And with enough time, there will be lots of opportunities for fighting. So Paul, Paul gives us this beautiful blueprint for a path forward on how to live our lives together, the lives that we've all been called to, a life within God's beloved community. And yet I think the temptation has been for us to take these lessons from Paul about how to live a good and faithful life as Christians and to oversimplify them to mean that the best way to coexist with one another is to just go along to get along. Especially as a woman and having grown up in the South, I have often been encouraged 
not to make any waves, not to rock the boat, that by ignoring my feelings or my experiences, that this is the best way to keep the peace. After all, Paul does say that the new clothes that we are to put on our bodies involves bearing with one another, choosing forgiveness over complaining, allowing love to bind us in perfect harmony, and to be thankful that God has called us together as one family. But I think we all know what happens when we attempt to keep the peace by avoiding conflict altogether. How with each stifled feeling, the pressure of resentment and hurt builds up over time and inevitably, the conflict you tried so hard to avoid ends up exploding in a very messy and uncontrollable way. This is how in relationships we end up having huge fights over little things like an empty milk carton in the fridge or a toilet seat left up again. Or how in churches we decide that this is the time that we stop coming to church because the carpet and the chapel has changed. <laughs> and also how we end up sometimes projecting all of those unintended emotions on some poor, unsuspecting person in the atrium who was just trying to be nice when they said, how are you doing today? My family had another interesting way of avoiding conflict. You see, my brother, my sister, and I were each two years apart. And so those teenage years in our household, well, they were pretty lively. And my poor dad would try to keep the peace in our house by simply multiplying the things that we would often fight over. The phone line, the TV, the computer. And this worked for some time. It decreased the number of arguments we would have with one another because it decreased the ways that we could engage with each other. With each of us having our own devices in our own rooms, our relationships just dried up over this period of time in our lives. And I can't help but wonder if we missed out on an opportunity to learn how to work out our differences with one another and to grow as a family. In his letter, I do not believe that Paul is asking members of this faith community to avoid conflict altogether. I mean, if we look at Paul's own ministry, he himself was certainly a very active party in many theological arguments and disagreements. I think what Paul is offering here is a reminder that through Christ, we have the opportunity to experience the fullness of what human relationships and communities have to offer, of why God created and calls us into them in the first place. That like Christ, we might be with and for each other in this life. That together, God has given us the gift of reflecting God's divine love even through our human bodies 
for Christ clothed himself in our humanity to tangibly demonstrate what God's love looks like and feels like here on earth. How creatures like us with our human brains and our human hearts have the capacity to experience the mutuality of loving and being loved, of forgiving and being forgiven. How this is the daily and ongoing process of making peace in our lives and in our communities, that this is what it means to build together God's kingdom here on earth. As we practice a little this morning, that in our worship together, we regularly take the time to pass the peace of Christ with one another. It seems like such a simple act, turning to your neighbor, extending a handshake, and offering a word of peace. It's so simple, and yet it is so profound that this is a mutual and continuous exchange of peace that is necessary if we are to build our lives together as a community of faith. That every time we do this, we cling to the truth that no matter how difficult our relationships are, that Christ's peace does rule in our hearts and offers us a way back towards each other. Because the truth is, none of us have been created to go through this life alone. I do want to be clear that, I, that the, what Paul advocates for is not a type of relationship where we have to maintain unity for the sake of unity. I do, do believe that in the face of injustice, of oppression, of suffering, and the abuse of God's people, that we are called to do exactly as Christ demonstrated in his own life, that we name that hurt, that pain, and that we work for the transformation of our lives together even if it means disrupting entire systems and structures that have been in place for a very long time. Even if it means that we have to draw new boundaries around our relationships. And we do all of that with tremendous love and care for ourselves and for one another. A few months ago, I read an article featuring a Presbyterian church in North Carolina, a church that worked intentionally to move its congregation through a challenging period in its life of faith. White Memorial Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and its 4,000 members often describe themselves as a purple church a place where people with opposing political views, red and blue, could come together and worship and in discipleship, in service and in fellowship. In 2015, the church found itself at a crossroads with having to decide whether or not they would accept the changes in the denomination stance on the recognition of marriage equality for the LGBTQ community in the church. 
Up until this moment, this topic was a source of such heated debate in the, in the congregation that its senior pastor had not dared to bring it up in the 16 years he had served there, until now. So instead of trying to avoid any potential discord, the church decided to create opportunities for discourse throughout the community. Everyone was invited to attend a series of public meetings and conversations with one another. Everyone was invited to write letters to the church to share their individual thoughts and opinions. And every single letter that was sent in received a personal response back, acknowledging and reflecting back what they have heard what each member took the time to share. And this process allowed everyone to know that their presence and that their voice mattered in this community. Eventually, the church held their vote and they chose to adopt a new policy allowing members of the LGBTQ community to marry in the church. As you can imagine, some people celebrated this decision and others did not. Some members eventually left this church, one of whom was a man named Jim Brown. And he left this church, but once he did, he realized how much he missed this place, how much he missed his home, and so he returned. And now reflecting on where the congregation is today, Jim says this, we're probably closer as a church than I have ever seen us. We all come together in the grace of God. I believe what this congregation demonstrated by allowing itself to address a source of conflict head on is the embodiment of a phrase coined by Dr. Brene Brown in her book, Braving the Wilderness. Dr. Brown describes how one of the key daily practices to engaging in authentic relationships is to carry ourselves with a strong back, a soft front, and a wild heart. A strong back, a soft front, and a wild heart. What she is saying is that it takes a tremendous amount of courage, vulnerability, and trust to live into the truth that we belong to one another. And this isn't an easy mantle to take on. But if we look around us, I think we know it's one that we cannot afford to give up. When we are willing to choose love and to find a way to make peace in our relationships, even if the path to peace is straight through conflict, we honor the gifts of God's love through Christ, which reconciles and redeems all things under God. And sometimes, even when we're being stubborn and we're reluctant to make peace in our lives, God can still do wonders when we come into God's presence. 
A few months ago, Alex and I had another one of our many, many fights. And we had to pause in the middle of this one to get dressed and to show up for a friend's wedding. <laughs> and so as we sat in the pews, the liturgy of this service started slowly chipping away at the wall that I had built up between us. It softened my grip on my anger and my hurt. And as we sang songs and heard, heard scripture and witnessed the courage of two individuals proudly standing before all of their friends and family to publicly promise to love each other, come hell or high water, which will come. All of it reminded me of the promises that I made not too long ago, to honor and to love Alex as my husband, in plenty and in want, in sickness and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, as long as we both shall live. And I cannot help but to long for our own experiences as we gather together each Sunday for worship together, to have the same experience that this wedding had on me and Alex. That for the songs we sing, in the liturgy we recite together and the word proclaimed to break down the walls that have built up between us over time. What, what would it take to remind ourselves of our baptismal vows, to remember God's claim and hold on our lives and the promises that we as a community made to one another to guide and nurture each other by word and deed, with love and prayer. What would our world look like? What would our lives look like if during this sacred time we share together each and every single week that our walls could come down just far enough so that we could see each other the way Christ sees us, with compassion, with kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and with unending love. All glory and honor and thanks be to God. Amen.